0: Eighty-three percent of all American people claim to be Christian. But if they were asked, do you have spiritual peace or well-being, one-third would say no. How is it that 60% of Christians are struggling with anxiety, 30% struggling with loneliness, 10% with depression? 55 with overeating 11 are addicted to alcohol or drugs two out of three Christians are consumed by pornography and almost a third of them say they suffer from it They're addicted. They cannot stop These are Sad statistics according to the latest surveys conducted by LifeWay, Pew Research Center and Cambridge University The research also showed that denomination does not play a role in this even furthermore These numbers prevail among non-believers alike. It is almost as if all mankind is struggling with the same flesh. And there is a high chance that somebody is watching this right now online who is facing an ongoing struggle they just can't seem to overcome. Did you ever ask yourself, why do I do the things which I do not wish to do? I used to ask this all the time. I remember feeling like, I just keep losing the battles. Yet deep down, I wanted to be closer with God. I wanted to walk with him like Moses did, like Elijah, the disciples. And I know you might be thinking something in the lines of, well, I've heard that all before. Every pastor says something, do this, don't do that. You might say, I've tried it all, it does not work. And I couldn't agree more with you. And it's precisely why I'm here. You see, you really notice I'm not a pastor, I'm a follower just like you. And I was among that 83%. In fact, I was among the 11% of addicts. I struggled with this since I became a Christian. But seven years ago, I found a solution. This solution is actually what most pastors do, but not many teach. It is so because some pastors not realize that this thing they do, this solution, is the very thing that keeps them out of trouble. Well, most of them. Yeah. And just like Elijah, like Moses, the disciples, and so many more, walking daily with God is possible. I want now say this, that I've got nothing to gain from this presentation, this testimony, sermon, whatever you call it. If anything, it is to lose my reputation as I'm going to expose myself in a hope that some might relate and find it encouraging. If God could transform a sinner like me, then imagine what he can do with you. I grew up in a Russian Jewish family. My parents believed in Jesus when I was still a young boy. So even though we were raised in Israel, I grew up in a Christian home with Christian values, standards, going to church every Saturday. That's right, Saturday, not Sunday, because we did live in Israel after all. I confessed my faith in Christ at the age of 13 and got baptized the same year. Interestingly enough, being baptized in the Jordan River in the Holy Land did not seem to have an extra spiritual advantage on me and certainly not long lasting because by the age of 20, I backslid from faith as far as I possibly could. I was struggling with pride, with alcohol, pornography, and a host of other things that would not even be appropriate to mention in this setting. I heard so many sermons in my life and had numerous Christian mentors trying to help me, advise me what to do, what not to do. Every tip they gave seemed very reasonable, and indeed it was helpful for them But for some reason, it did not bring any lasting change in me. I kept on tripping over and over again. Every time I would fall into sin, it would stain my heart with guilt. And that guilt separated me, I felt like it separated me farther from God. Feeling unworthy of his fellowship, unworthy to take communion. And at times, it felt like God wouldn't even hear me. I prayed. Yeah. And to cope with this reality, I became ignorant and in denial. I would still go to church, but I had long forgotten what fellowship with God was, or it looked like. I only knew what fellowship with other believers was, and it was all about me. My dual faced life came to its peak as I was sitting by the right hand of my pastor back in Nazareth at the time, translating sermons from English to Russian, while getting wasted drunk that same night and brag about it to my friends in the military. I became self-centered prideful, a user of people, abuser of rules, and it was only the start of it. After being released from the Israeli Air Force, I was hired by an American company. Married, Rhoda. a little later. And right before we got engaged, um, we were, in, we were uh, before we got married, Rhoda and I were uh, dating on and off at the time, and the American company got me into the United States in 2008, and they sent me to work as a subcontractor for Hewlett-Packard. I was traveling the United States, uh, driving luxurious cars, staying in top of the line hotels. I'm telling you, American dream come true, I thought I was Mr. Big Shot. Uh, but in reality, I was nobody. My outward image might have enriched itself, but my inward soul was destitute. And at that point, I no longer desired to address my struggles. I embraced them. I said, it's not that bad. And that's when we got married. 2010, got married and then the ignorance started to fade away. Slowly I saw the damage I'm causing to the woman that I fell head over heels for. She's the most wonderful woman in the world and I've got a billion reasons to prove to you why that is true, but only one is enough and it's right here on my finger. God had appointed me. To love her just like Christ loved the church. Like he gave himself up for us and for me. So am I supposed to give my desires up for her needs. But I failed miserably. From the very first day, I had no idea what love is. I only knew what she made me feel. August 2011 one year into our marriage despite still going to church I came to my lowest point marriage no longer satisfied me the alcohol did not fill me and pornography became an addiction I was on route to pour our marriage down the drain And then came along Grace Baptist Church. One sunny Sunday in August 2011, we randomly picked the church to attend. where a certain pastor, which I will not mention by Charlie's name, uh, he doesn't <laughs> like that. Uh, and that day, he just happened to give. He was a, not a he was a pastor, but not full-time pastor. And that day, he happened to give his testimony his life before Christ seemed like complete havoc it sounded like a disaster and it sounded a lot like mine and on that stage I saw a new man standing who had no resemblance to the man that he spoke about from his past life how did he do it that was my question how did he do it he kept on saying Jesus Jesus it was Jesus but I also have Jesus uh, gee, what, what is different so i kept on listening i would, and i was struck by his passion to the bible he mentioned that he reads it daily he never missed a day and he in the past few years he read it over 70 times cover to cover and then it dawned on me what do old pastors and all of our spiritual mentors have in common. They preach, and to preach, they study the Bible. And most likely on a daily basis. Again, hopefully, most of them. And out of good intention, they relate to us what they learn, telling us what to do, teaching us what to look out for, what guardrails to set. This is good. Um, when we lived in Atlanta, Roderick and I, we went to see Andy Stanley. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of him the son of uh, Charles Stanley, and his sermon was about guardrails for a Christian. I don't know if you've seen it, but if you have, if you listen to it, they're actually pretty good things to do. Um, they're from the Bible, they're, they make sense, some of them just guardrails to prevent yourself from doing the wrong thing. Even though it gives excellent advice, and even though following this advice, the do's and the don'ts, can be very useful it did not change our heart and it does not transform our minds so what can transform our minds the book of hebrews 4:12 says this for the word of god is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart the word of god the Bible it is living and active I didn't know how to understand that at the moment It is living and active the Word of God what does that mean you know I I grabbed this with me this morning when I was at Charlie's place I thought this would be an interesting thing because it speaks about a double-edged sword Um, Doug drew an incredible cover for the sermon of a double-edged sword but I brought this katana sword from Charlie's house here knows how to use it I don't but this katana sword I just I don't want to touch it um, got the, the Hebrews 412 compares the Word of God and says it is sharper than this sword or double-edged this is a single-edged sword and yet I don't know if you've found this but in Proverbs 5 it says it talks about lust adulterous woman and lust and and it says that that lust is as sharp as a double-edged sword but Hebrews 412 says that the Word of God is sharper double-edged sword it is very interesting that the word of god written by the hand of man available for us today in almost every language is sharper than any double-edged sword sharpen any lust anything that is temptatious. it is living and it is powerful and it's not new it's not just hebrews 412 the old testament psalm 119 david says as this question how can a young man keep his way pure a young man is driven by his passions how can you make his way pure what is the answer by guarding it according to your word and then he adds I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you stored it in, in the heart again it was difficult to understand what it means for a story in the heart guarding going back to the story in August 2011 I took a few days off work I opened the Bible and I started reading. I did not stop. Literally, I did not stop. I did nothing else but read His Word day and night. When I got to the part where Jesus says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I started weeping uncontrollably. The damage I've done to my marriage just dawned on me. I I can't imagine how I must have hurt God with my actions. Not to mention my wife. But I didn't stop reading. I kept on going. When I got to the book of Romans, chapter six, I started crying uncontrollably again, but this time from joy, because it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we, who have died to sin, live in it any longer? How did I not see this before? It's in past tense. Died to sin. Not dying. Not will die. Died. I called Charlie. I said, What does this all mean? How can it be that I'm dead to sin? I'm still sinning. He goes. Explain the chapter to me, and that was that was the changing day of my of my life I didn't realize what I just learned so I kept on exploring you know Charlie says one thing but is it really true what Charlie says let's keep on reading and I kept reading for the first time I just understood it my salvation does not depend on my action. I was bought with a price and my righteousness is in Christ there's nothing I can do to add to what Christ has already done for me on that cross I can only accept this gracious gift but again having been saved by grace having this freedom does not explain why do I keep doing the things which I do not wish to do why do I keep doing them and by the time I got to Ephesians chapter 2 I was just swept away in his loving arms listen to what it says and he, You He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not our works, lest anyone should boast." And I notice the terminology trespasses and sins we were dead in trespasses and sins and I thought wait a second are those two one and the same trespass sin are they like synonyms is, or is there a difference and believe it or not I was I was so surprised to find out that the Old Testament has a distinction there's actually a huge difference between trespasses and sins I brought two goats with me to resemble each <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know what to do with this, so I'm just gonna <laughs> go with it. Um, I just wanted to make a point, and this is, this is it. This is two goats. When a sin was committed, the Israelites had to make two offerings: trespass offering, and then another one, a sin offering. Why isn't shouldn't there be one offering enough? Why did he need to do two offerings, and so why do they have different words? Trespass, sin, trespass, sin looking at the Hebrew revealed the answer. Take a look. A trespass in Hebrew is Ma'al. Ma'al is from the root above. Ma'al is sometimes also translated in the Bible as an act. So if you combine it with its root, it almost sounds like acting above or an act above the law. It is an actual deed, it's an action, acting above the law. While the word sin Hebrew is Chet Chet Means to wander away from something to miss something to be in sin is to be separated from God Just like Proverbs 8:36 says it and it's it's great uh, Verse to um, to look into It says nafsho, Which means he who wanders from me injures his own soul Even though the Hebrew says i, the English translators chose to uh, translate it as wonders which means sin is wandering away from god it is the state of being separate from god so if we examine it we came we come up to a very interesting conclusion a trespass is an act against a law set by god and a sin is the state of the soul and that's why we can be in a state of sin from the very birth without ever committing a trespass we're born in that state, just like one who is born in slavery is a slave from birth. So are we born in slavery to sin? We were once slaves to sin, but having believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have died to sin and can no longer live in it. This is because the state of our soul is stamped with the it is marked with the stamp of God, the Holy Spirit, the guarantee. Of our salvation so no matter how much we keep on trespassing our soul is free from sin I was trying to put this into modern-day perspective to understand this because Romans 6 is about slavery and today I don't think about slavery as much but back in their day it made sense here's an example area 51 has a military zone it's a military zone with a fence around it and there's a sign i took i brought a picture of the sign it says no trespassing up to one year imprisonment and five thousand dollar fine so if one day you know i'm led by my desire to me- meet up with uh, it, the et et little alien and put myself above the law and trespass that fence i would have then commit a crime and thus be a criminal So the trespass would be an act of going across the fence that told me not to trespass and the result will be my criminal title, a title that I can never get rid of, ever. No matter how much I serve or pay for it, I'm a criminal. It stays for life. So... Wouldn't it be nice if there was somebody who could clear that title, who could take the charges in my stead? So I would never get that title. So, when I got to the book of Ephesians, and was reading through the Bible for the first time, I got down with Ephesians, got to Colossians, and it just put the nail in the coffin. So, I just want to show you, so you've got to hear what it says. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13-14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross the trespasses that I committed were like a written record of death that separated me from God it was my state of a criminal but just like a man in prison who is separate from his family so was I separate from God but with Christ and in Christ, I'm a free man. And my trespasses are not counted against me. My record is clean. And even though I can still commit an act of trespassing against God's law or God's instructions, it will not be counted against me. And 1 John, as i got to it again it's all in succession it's so interesting how it's all planned planned out in succession book, book after book when i got to 1 john if there was any doubt about this it was all removed in this chapter 1 john 3 9 says whoever has been born of god does not sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of god If you read that chapter or that book without reading the books before, without understanding this concept, then that book just makes absolutely no sense. How can I not sin? I do sin. I sin all the time. It's because we have one word in English we use, sin. It resembles the act and the state. But John says, Those who have been born of God who accepted the Lord Jesus, they cannot sin. How is it even possible? I do. I commit trespasses, but they're not imputed unto me. And that's when I remembered 1 Corinthians, something that I just read. And it said this 1 Corinthians 5 19. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. My trespasses in Christ, I can still do them. I'm, I'm doing trespasses every day. If you knew me, you would have known. Yet I'm free from sin, dead to sin, and alive in Christ. That, learning that, when I read the Bible the first time, took the heaviest burden of my shoulders. I've never been the same since then. It gave me the confidence of eternal life, the love of Jesus, unconditional, of my actions and my trespasses. But then the question still remains. Why, then, am I still transpa- trespassing? And doing stupid things, and how do I stop? That was on my mind that same month. And so, keep reading, and I get to one Peter, chapter two. And it says this: Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, say hey, that's me, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I have tasted the Lord is gracious. That then, understanding that he's not imputing my trespasses against me. So I have tasted that graciousness. This is it. He's talking about me. But how do I stop then? Desire the pure milk of the word. So now having tasted this graciousness, gracious, God, desire the pure milk of the word. So took it to heart. Looked at Charlie, looked at spiritual mentors, and everybody who's doing the same thing. And since that day, I opened this book and I have not stopped reading it. I've not skipped a single day, and I've never gone back to my old habits, addictions, or those trespasses of old. It all went away overnight. I used to think, you know, I, this is, I used to think that. Job's covenant with his eyes not to look at another woman lustfully is nothing but a myth, maybe a fairy tale, a story from the Bible, an allegory. I tell you, it's a wonderful reality. If your mind is filled with the everlasting, ever-fulfilling, perfect Word of God, everything else in this world is absolutely tasteless it is not attractive since the very first days of reading his word my relationship with Rhoda had taken a drastic change to the good my love for her has been increasing daily and it only gets better with every day that I start with Jesus even though I do not deserve even a millionth of it And I'm not saying all this to boast because quite the opposite, I'm saying this as a testimony of my weak flesh. Uh, I can assure you, if today I have not woken up and read his word, then probably tomorrow you would have found me back indulging in my trespasses, avalanching down from the peak of the mountain of grace. Going back to destruction and to abyss of addiction. And I say this because I'm a weak man and probably the weakest you'll ever meet. And there is no strength in me whatsoever except that which is in Christ Jesus. So if there is any reason to boast, it is just in His power of Christ that He's given us through His Word. He took on flesh, this word, took on flesh and died for me. So I, wow, saved me from eternal separation from God. And he has left me with two things while I'm still breathing on this earth. He's left me with the Bible and the Holy Spirit to understand it. He gave them to each and one of us so we can live a life worthy of the calling that we have received and so I would like to finish with these thoughts more than 80% of church goers in America do not read the Bible on a daily basis they might be saved but they're missing out an opportunity of a life Filled with richness of faith, in which words like loneliness, depression, addiction are not heard. And if you're among those 80%, I'll not judge or condemn you because I was one of them. So, I would just like to tell you, if you're in that place that there is a way for you to fellowship with God, the kind of fellowship that Abraham had, the personal daily relationship that Moses had, you can have the heart of King David, the faith of Prophet Elijah, Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, beloved John, Rhoda Christian Postel. Aaron Goodwin Chuck Wenger Jim Dwyer Charlie Garrett and countless more Such life is possible and it's beautiful You know, I had lots of questions to God and I was even praying to him on a regular basis regular basis and Before 2011, but I never gave him a chance to speak back to me I was just praying asking things oh God help me with this help me with that, but I do not want to take it and read and see what he tells me his word is not in the past it is living and it is active it will never pass it will shape you and it will mold you it will transform your mind and your entire life if you read it daily and do what it says and so often I see Christians friends and they read daily devotional as a substitute to reading the Bible or just open the Bible, pick a few verses, maybe chapters, and that's it. And I don't blame them because the chances are there is just no one around that showed them how powerful and effective this word is in comparison to a devotional written by men versus written by God. And I used to do that too, so I cannot point fingers. I was just one of the blessed ones to found I found Charlie and all of you who gave me that example. I used to do this I just want to bring this last illustration I used to take a verse you know and read it and this is the illustration I like to think about so here's I have a Page with a hole cut on the middle, and behind I have a picture. The picture, you don't see it, but you see a little hole here. What do you see? Lion? Lion. Okay, what's in the picture? Safari. Safari, all right, that's great. Safari. Let me go a little over and, all right, what's about here? Now we see another section. Lion? All right, lioness. So, what's in the picture? A tiger. A tiger? Yeah. <laughs> a, all right, great. So, well, we, we don't do that with pictures. But first, look at a full photo. It's Daniel in a lion's den with tigers. So we gotta first take a look at the full picture. And then we take and we look at the details. Oh, look at those teeth, look at that. So why why would I read the Bible verse here, verse there, chapter here, chapter there, by? book here, book there, without first looking at the entire picture that God has plainly given us. And when I saw the first the picture for the first time in 2011, I was floored. It is absolutely marvelous. I think everybody can agree with me here. Oh. So, open the Bible, start reading, and don't stop. I used to say, well, you know, but I've got work, I've got kids, I've got school. God gave them to me, so it's my first priority, right? If God gave me a wife, then I have to work, I have to support. But back at the time, it seemed to me like I just don't have the time to read the Bible. But the reality is that I just did not set the priorities straight. That's all. I did my duties at work and school, and it might have and I might have been rewarded financially, maybe a few years of relationship which seemed good for a while, but it's all going to be burnt one day. Would you not rather seek heavenly rewards first? What if God's word was your first prayer in the morning? How would your day look like then? One of my mentors was Chuck Wenger, and he worked under Billy Graham. You might not have heard about Chuck Wenger's name, but you know what he's done. He produced the Jesus film the one that was translated over 1,400 languages. And this is how his daily schedule looked like. He would wake up four in the morning, read the Bible for 15 minutes, one hour, four hours. After work, afterwards, he would make breakfast for his wife and children and then head to the office. By the time he was done with his business ministry, spending time with family in the evenings, it was already midnight, he slept four hours. He did that for 20 years, and for what advantage? By setting God first, setting God as his first priority, he made himself available for God to use him in incredible ways to change the world, and a. Civil War chaplain E.M. Bounds once said, The men who've done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness in other pursuits than seeking God will make poor headway seeking Him the rest of the day. If God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, He will be in the last place the remainder of the day. So open the Bible, read it, memorize it, taste it, and do what it says. And yes, doing this is very difficult especially when we're struggling with our old habits developed over so many years but it is only difficult in the beginning because it gets easier with every right decision that i make with every morning i wake up in his word his bread of life eternal word of god and so i'll leave you with this verse joshua chapter 1 verse 8 keep the book of the law always on your lips Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, I know this is from the law, but the precept remains true. Joshua had five books of Moses. We have the full counsel of God with instructions, encouragements, direction, and the Holy Spirit to understand. So if you have accepted Jesus, but have not found that spiritual peace, And if you want to be free from those problems that separate your heart from God, then make the Bible your first priority. Always keep God's word on your lips. Think about it day and night and do what it says. Amen. All right, so next week, um, I'll do something. i I prepared something much more fun than this. I've got a uh, title list. I'll just give you the title. It's, Hidden treasures of the ancient Hebrew. So, we're going to go over some Old Testament scriptures. And we're going to look at the ancient Hebrew language and find some absolutely incredible things. Like, when I started reading this and I thought, well, just written by men. No, it's... When I'll, show you, when, I'll, when I'll show you next week some of the findings they found in ancient Hebrew in the Bible, there's absolutely no way this was written by the mind of men. Absolutely no way. Uh, very cool stuff. Some of them that you Charlie told you, some of them you have the first time you'll hear. Uh, very cool stuff. Also pretty short. It's gonna be 30 minutes. And with Slideshow, next week. Alright, and then Charlie asked me to do this, so I'm gonna do this, as I don't believe you've ever skipped this, Communion. Um, so we'll do that. Um, Alright, and I've already said this, but wow. Sermon writing is the most difficult task I've ever done. Oh, thank you. The most difficult task ever. All right. So maybe maybe Charlie can do the IT stuff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See what he says
0: about that. <laughs> I sleep pretty well after I do the IT stuff. You know? <laughs> Can't say the same about Charlie after he does this and he needs to think and think. Well, did I say everything right? Did I honor God? Did I not honor God? Investigate, think. It is okay. Yes. Yeah, wow. Um, okay, so we can do this. Um, we get the instructions of the Lord's supper for the Lord's supper directly from the Bible. In one Corinthians eleven, Paul ri- wrote. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, Baruch <laughs> atadunai Eloheinu hamutzilechem min he broke it, and he said, Oh, this one, this one. Yeah. He broke it and he said, Eat. This is. My body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup. Oh, that's later. So we do this first. We break the bread. How many pieces do I need to do here? (laughs) I need an AI to calculate this. I think that's good. A little more. There we go. All right, and let's put this here. Okay, and there we go. In the same manner, he took also the cup after supper, saying, Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu pri hagefen. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost and so it was in the beginning and is now and ever shall be a world without end. Amen. Um, Please. please. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Thank you. Body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Body oh, and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Peace is here. Body the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. suppress fighting the part of In the of the, Lord Jesus christ. In the, of the Lord Jesus christ if i remember right i think charlie read that in the end right he does yeah. Yeah. so we can do that one more time it's a good <laughs> we can also it's say it's a good phrase, yeah we'll say it one more time and end with that glory be to the father and to the son and to the holy ghost as it was in the beginning is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 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 So. By the way, I don't know if you thought about this, but you really have no proof that Charlie is gone and all this is true. What if I just hijacked all this? <laughs> Charlie's tied up in the home, and I'm saying he just texted me. He's saying he's on the plane. You have no idea, right? No. <laughs> I guess we'll live to find out. (laughs) (laughs) No, you need to send the sermon out. We know there's something (laughs) wrong. Something's wrong. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right, so everybody needs to say hello. We go there. There we go. And bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Oh, Oh, okay. It's it's everywhere. I